Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. It's great to be with you guys today. What a great weekend we had last weekend, right? I mean, hundreds of people, many responded to Christ. I mean, you guys, volunteers from the parking lot to the kids to everyone else, you guys did an amazing job. And, uh, and as a result, we've seen lives change and continue to see lives change. Well, uh, a lot of pastors kind of, uh, they don't look forward to this Sunday because Easter is so massive, right? But we understand, you know, at Journey Church that we have a couple of times a year, Christmas Eve is one of those, Easter is one of those, we get to invite a lot and welcome a lot more people into this place. But today's Resurrection Sunday, right? Because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And if we come with an anticipation, expectation that God will do something great, God will speak to our hearts today, and we're not just coming for more information, we're coming for transformation, then our lives will be changed because He's here to touch us today. He's here to give us a fresh word today. And so I'm honored to be here and, uh, because He's here. If He wasn't here and the Holy Spirit wasn't here, I'd be in big trouble, right? Because he's here, lives are going to be touched and changed. I want to look at 2 Kings today, chapter 3, verse 9 through 20, and I want to talk about a faith that works, a faith that works. Father, I thank you for everyone that's in this room, and we make this a matter of prayer right now, Lord God. We're not looking just for some more information. We're looking for some transformation, Lord, in our lives today, Lord. So, Father, something that is said, spoken let it resonate, let it go deep into our hearts, let it bring life change to us, I pray. Let it change the way we think, let it change the way we speak, let it change the way we walk and live our lives, I pray, Lord. And for all of that, I'll give you all the glory and all the honor, in Jesus' name, amen. When was the last time you played the what-if game? Maybe even this week you, had the, you played the what-if game in your mind, and you said something like this, what if... You know, I made $100 more a week. I could, I could fight inflation, right? Inflation. What if I made $100 more? What, what if I had a better job? You know, and, and, and we're just thinking, if we just had this certain thing, then we could finally uh, have real happiness in our life. What is it? What is that one thing in our life? What if? What if I had a different husband? What, you know, what if I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure Liz has thought about that a few times, you know, you know. What if I had a different house? I mean, there are a lot of people, they, they, they hate their house. You know? And you know what I found out? I found out until you turn that house into a point of praise, you're going to be there a long time. So you must well just start walking the house and say, I love this place. It's such a unique character and everything else. And start turning into a praise and thank God that you have a nice, warm place to live, to come home, to make memories of the family and all those kind of stuff. So the what if. But the problem is it doesn't really make us any happier. If we just had all these certain things and put all these certain things in line. So what is the greatest need in your life today? What is the greatest need in your life today? Not enough money. You know, not the house that you want. You need a physical healing. And, and we have people at Journey that we're praying for. We're praying for the miraculous. We're praying for healing in this house and, or restored relationship. What is it your greatest need that you're facing? Then I want you to take that great need and then run this whole Bible story the lens of your greatest need. Let me just set the story up. 
There are three kings that have joined forces. The king of Judah, the king of Israel, the king of Edom have come together to fight against an enemy called Moab or the Moabites. Three against one, so they're thinking to themselves, you know, we just can't lose. We've got the numbers on our side. And, and you know, it so often happens in our life, we have it all planned out, all figured out in our mind how it's all going to unroll, and all of a sudden, whoops, everything gets thrown out of whack, and it goes differently than we anticipated. And so these kings had a couple of options on how they were going to march into battle to face the to Moabites, and they decided they're going to go through, a, through the desert. And so they get in through the desert, and after seven days of journeying through the desert on the way to meeting the enemy, they run out of water. Now they're dying of thirst. Their animals are dying of thirst. They're in a desperate situation, which leads us to our very first principle is that your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to God. So many times it drives us to other things, to try to talk to people, to try to figure out our own plan. And then we finally remember God. But it, whatever your greatest need is, it becomes a blessing when it actually drives you to God. And that's a good thing when we have to rely on God, that our dependency is on God. Now, here's a story. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9 through 12 says, So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves, for their animals. And they basically said, What? Has the Lord brought us here so that we can lose in this battle against Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. You remember those two guys, right? Mentor, mentee. And he said, and Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the, Israel, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to talk to Elijah, or, or, or Elisha. Now, Elijah mentored Elisha, as I said. And he had actually some results when it came to water. There was three and a half years drought in Israel. And after three and a half years, the prophet Elijah went up to the mountain. He began to pray. He put his knees, he put his face into his knees, and he began to travail and pray and seek the face of God while he told his servant to go back down toward the seashore and see if you see any signs of rain. He comes back at the first time. He says, I see no sign of rain. He said, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And he keeps going back to prayer. Keeps seeking the face of God. God, bring us the rain that we need. And on the seventh time, he comes back and he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. That's it. And of course, we know the, the, the clouds opened and the, the rain came and there was a, ma a major downpour. So, so I'm sure these kings are having conversations as, as they're going to find the prophet Elisha and they're talking about the results of, of the rain and the water. And so, and so I'm sure as they're talking, they're, they're also going on and they're saying, well, now Elisha has even, it seems like he's got more anointing. He has more power because... When he, when he saw Elijah being taken up to heaven, his cloak fell, and that was his prayer that I would have twice as much anointing as you had. And he took the cloak. Elisha then took the cloak. He went to the Jordan River, and he smacked it, and the thing split apart, and he walked over on dry ground. He gets to the next city, and there is a water problem. The water is polluted, and he says, bring me a bowl of salt. And he takes some salt, and he sprinkles it out over the water, and he declares that the water is now healed, and the water was healed, and the Bible says it's healed to this day. It's a full healing, and it's healed to this day. So these guys are thinking, well, we're going to the right guy because he, he knows something about water. He's got anointing for all things water. 
And so they're feeling pretty confident about that. And they get to the prophet Elisha. And when they get to the prophet Elisha, they tell him their situation, their desperate situation. And can you help us? And basically, Elisha says this. He says, I want no part to do with you guys. Because I forgot to mention, none of them were following God. Jehoshaphat was following God at one time, but now he's making some bad choices. And he said, the prophet Elisha said, I want no part to do with you guys. You guys go to your pagan prophets of your father and your mother and ask them for help. But he has a change of mind. And he says this, he says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve. He gets a little digging there, right? See, we're still flesh, right? Even though we may be anointed, maybe man of God or whatever. He says, whom I serve. You guys aren't serving him, but I'm serving him. He said, I wouldn't even bother with you guys if it wasn't for King Jehoshaphat, but he did try to live for God a right way. So, so, so he, he goes and he orders them to bring a harp. He says, bring me a harpist. That's an important key for, I think, for many of us because there's something about worship. That's, that's the way they did it in the olden days in the Old Testament. They would bring in the, the, the harpists and they would set the mood and then and, and God would come and he would speak to them and he would give them direction. And, and that's what we do week in and week out here at Journey is, is we're not just putting in time. We're not just singing a couple of cute songs. We are setting the mood. We are setting the atmosphere for God to do some supernatural things, not just in our life, but in those that are coming maybe for the very first time. Their lives are broken, and they're looking for answers. They're looking for someone that can change their lives. And so we're setting the atmosphere, and something happens. The mood changes. The atmosphere changes because the Bible tells us that He inhabits the praises of His people, which means that when we begin to worship God, God steps in to the room. Something powerful happens when we begin to worship. And so they're setting the mood. He's setting the mood. Waiting to hear on God. And I've even heard businessmen do this, and maybe this is for some businessman or woman today, that they actually play worship music all night long in their business. So when they come in the morning, the atmosphere is set for a great day. Maybe God's given you that as one of the plans He has for you, just to set the atmosphere. You can change the atmosphere in your home by playing worship music, by just what happens here on Sunday mornings? Just let it happen in your home. You can actually change the atmosphere. In fact, some of the best moments in my life happen when I'm in my car driving to an appointment and I've got the worship music blasting. I'm telling you, I must be a sight sometime on the turnpike. Well, I got the cruise set, man, and I'm responding to the lyrics of the song. And I'm just, just like you guys, I, I got a chance to sit over here instead of it, with you here. And I saw you going, just like the worship team, you guys are going too. And I'm thinking, this is powerful. This is a great moment. And something happens when we change the atmosphere and we can change the atmosphere wherever we're at, in our home, in our car, as we seek the face of God. So the music is playing and Elisha's connecting with God and the kings are beside themselves. They're excited because they can't wait for the prophet to come back and say, you know, at this time tomorrow, the clouds are going to split and there's going to be a downpour. They're, they're beside themselves, excited with what kind of encouragement the prophet Elisha is going to bring them. So Elisha comes out and he doesn't say tomorrow at nine o'clock there's going to be a downpour and the soldiers are going to be dancing and jumping in the puddles and just elated by the rain. He comes out and he says to them, he says, he says, make the valley full of ditches. Let's read. He says, while the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha and he said, this is what the Lord says, make the valley full of of ditches. And the guys are saying, wait a second. I thought was gonna, God was going to make it rain like he did for Elijah. Now we got to go back and tell our guys who are so discouraged by the drought that they got to get their shovels out and make the valley full of ditches. And Elisha said, that's it. Make, that's your next step. Make 
the valley, make the desert, fill it up all over the place with ditches. 2 Kings 3.17 says, For this is what the Lord says, You will see neither wind nor rain, yet the valley will be filled with water, and you, you and your cattle, your animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. And He also, by the way, will give you Moab as well. You're going to win in this battle. See, this is nothing for God. It's like a click of the fingers. He can fill the valley full of water. And He says, by the way, you're going to win in this battle as well. So there are two principles, really, I want to talk about here. Two principles of, of a faith that works. Because I'm really interested in a faith that moves the heart of God and brings results, so to speak, into my life. I preached a sermon several years ago. And the main point of the sermon, which goes along with this, and this, this whole story inspired it, is that you are looking for a miracle. God wants to give you a plan. Work the plan, and the miracle will come. Work the plan, the miracle will come. You're looking for a miracle, God's going to give you a plan. Start working the plan, and then the miracle will come. So the first principle of a faith that works is sometimes you have to dig a ditch before God sends the water. Sometimes you have to dig a ditch before God sends the water. See, if you want to walk on water, you've got to respond when Jesus says, come. Step out of the boat and walk on water. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear in James 2.26. He says, just as the body is dead without the spirit, there's going to come a time when we'll take our last breath here, we'll take our next breath in heaven. The spirit is absent from the body, right? He said, it's a spirit in the body. They're partners. They're one. He said, so also is, so faith is dead without good deeds. There's a partnership that God wants us to be involved in. Another verse says, the very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. You get nothing. It's a faith that doesn't work. A faith that works responds to the plan of God, and, does what, and we do what God is telling us to do. There's a kind of faith that works with God. There's a kind of faith that becomes effective with God, where we actually touch the heart of God, and God and invokes a response from Him. Nothing much would have happened until these soldiers got their shovels out and made the valley full of ditches. Now, we know that God can do anything, right? He can do anything because He is God. But they needed to dig some ditches to show that they actually believed in the word that they received from the Lord. God, I can tell you something, God likes faith. It's almost like He's saying, you show me your faithfulness, you show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. You take the step. I'll take a step. You take the step, I'll take a step. I mean, how many times in our own personal private devotions have we read these words? When Jesus saw their faith. Anybody remember reading that? The scriptures, as you read the devotions, you read those clear words. When Jesus saw their faith. I mean, one day in the New Testament, Jesus is in a house in Capernaum. He's teaching people. The room, the, the, the house is packed. There's people everywhere. And, and four friends come to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, but they can't get in the front door, right? So they look up and they see the roof. They get him up on the roof. They destroy somebody's house. They rip the roof open and they lower him down to Jesus, right? And the Bible says these words, when Jesus saw their faith, what did faith look like? It was sweat. It was dirt. It was dust all over the people that were sitting in that house. And they lowered their friend down to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, get up, take your mat, go home. He got up, took his mat, and went home. There's another time in the Bible where this guy has this withered hand, and Jesus looks at him. He says, stretch out your hand. He starts to try to stretch out his hand. He believes what Jesus is saying, and all of a sudden, 
his hand is made whole. When Jesus saw their faith, I believe there are times when we've got to participate in the miracle. It's still his miracle. We have no supernatural power. It's his miracle, but sometimes we participate by exercising our faith. Sometimes people say this. They say, well, God knows where I live. If he wants to do something powerful in my life, he can just do it. And God is saying, no, I'm looking for some faith first. And maybe you're in this room today and you're still wrestling with, with cigarettes, you know, and it's, you, can, you, can, you can increase your budget by just getting rid of that habit, right? It's, it's amazing what they cost. I, I, I don't even know what they cost anymore, but every once in a while I check it out, they're like, wow. You just take those, as you're going out today, find the nearest trash can, take those pack, packet of cigarettes and throw them in the trash can and say to God, now there's some faith. Now there's some faith. Maybe you are so overwhelmed that we talked about with your finances and it's a what if game and, you, and you're just paralyzed by fear. You know, how are we going to keep making, how are we going to keep going through this crazy cycle that's in our world today? I'm going to tell you exactly how you're going to break the fear off of your life. You're going to take out your checkbook. You're going to figure out what you made this last week and you're going to make a 10% tithe check to the Lord, and you're going to say to him, now there's some faith. Now, I know most people don't carry their checkbook with them anymore, so you're going to go home, you're going to get online, Journey Church, right? And, and, and you're going to hit the give button, and you're going to figure it all out, and you're going to say to God, after you push the send button, you're going to say, now there's some faith. Show God some faith. You know, maybe some of you have a broken relationship, and you know, you're the right party that's been offended and everything else, and so you're just waiting for the other person to come. And, 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 and God's saying to you, don't wait any longer. Go to that person, ask for forgiveness, give forgiveness, and then say to God, now there's some faith. I don't know what it is that God is telling you to do today, but he's telling you to do something. Start walking in it and say to God, now there's some faith. Jesus said, when he saw their faith, it's time to take a step of faith and to dig a ditch to do whatever God is telling us to do. Number two. Believe big, because we serve a big God, right? We're going to end this service with a powerful song. He's more than able, right? He's more than able. In fact, it's one of my favorite verses in Ephesians 3.20 that says, Now unto him that is able to do more, that is able to do exceedingly abundant, abundantly above all that we ask or think because the power of a spirit that's at work within us. He's able to do more. So I believe big, but I'm willing to start out and take some small steps. Take the small steps he's asking you to take and let him do the more in your life. In fact, the prophet Zechariah said this. He said, do not despise the day of small beginnings. I've quoted that over and over again because nothing starts out like this, right? It starts out small. It starts out by saying, God, I'm going to plant a church or or in, at Morningstar, we took a church that had eight, 18 people left. I mean, it had 150 at one time and went down to 18 people, and it was dwindling fast. When we finally accepted the call, we got, we got 100% of the vote, 18 for 18, said, come and help us out if you can. And, and, and another pastor said, by the way, the church you're going to is a dead horse. You know, it's, thank goodness I believe in the resurrection power of Easter and of Jesus, you know. So we started plowing. And a lot of pastors, you know, that I try to encourage because they go in the same situation. There's 50 people, there's 75 people, and they're trying to get the church on the right track. And they just think that Morningstar just had to, it's, it's what it is today. The hundreds of people that worship there, that worship there today, that's just the way it is. And you don't, you don't know what I'm, what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through. And I keep telling them, listen, I started with 18 people. It took me seven years to break 100. I was not tearing it up in the least. 
But I was willing to start out small. And I used to, I used to say that first all the time. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise, God, I'm waiting for you. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God, where are you? Don't despise. And then years later, I read the rest of the verse. Because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. See, we're despising it. Because that's how you dig ditches, one shovel at a time. It's hard work. It's hard work. But God's up in heaven while we're despising every moment of it. When is it going to change? God is up in heaven. <laughs> I, like, I like that faith. I like what I see happen, happening in your life. He says, don't despise the day of small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. There's a guy named uh, Richard Neal. Richard weighed 426 pounds, and his doctor told him that he would never have children, and he would probably never make it out of his 30s if he didn't lose weight. And so he's in a desperate situation, and he decided one Sunday that he was going to go to church. So he's sitting in the parking lot, and maybe there's a Richard sitting in our midst today, and he's sitting in the parking lot trying to get courage, trying to build up courage to get beyond his self-consciousness to go into the church and to walk into the church. And he finally got out of the car, and he went into the church because God spoke to him and said, I can't fix the outside until I fix the inside. And we know that as our testimony, right? I can't fix what's going on in your world until you let me fix what's broken inside of you. We're broken people that have been saved and raised up by the power of Jesus Christ. And so he walks into that church and that day he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus started changing him from the inside to the outside. He went home and he put on a DVD workout video and the first time became a second time. And one week became two weeks and one month became two months. And then he entered a CrossFit Contest. I have to tell you, one day we went to a CrossFit gym just to do a video for a sermon series I was doing. And after a half-hour workout, I was on the front row laying there. I'm going to die. And so this guy reads about this workout contest where he has a chance to win $100,000. And he enters the contest. And in the end, he won not only the contest, but he got down to 184 pounds in 18 months. And today he travels the world. And basically his message is what I'm saying to you today. Big things in life only come when you start out small. Take the, the small steps because the big Believe big, but be willing to start out small. To start out small and see what God will do. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 20 says, And sure enough, the next day at about the time when the morning sacrifice was being offered, water suddenly appeared everywhere. It flowed from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water, plenty of water everywhere. I like those words, and sure enough, say it to yourself, and sure enough, and sure enough, and sure enough, God spoke. God is not like a man that he should lie. If he spoke it and said it, we can count on it. It's good. And sure enough, there was water everywhere flowing for all the horses and all the animals. See, only God can send the water. But he wants us to participate in the miracles in our life by digging just a few ditches. I can tell you that God loves it when we participate in his, his miracles. His miracles, we get to participate in his miracles. One time at Morningstar, and 38 years there, we had, you know, built several buildings, paid all those off, and we saw God's faithfulness again and again and again. But one time, life was a little tough. And we were $39,000. We went into the year January, February, March, and we're like, $39,000 in the red. I mean, we were bleeding red ink. The reason we stayed afloat was like many churches, we had other categories, you know, and we had one category 
where we were saving money to buy some new camera equipment. And so we had $42,000 in there. So you, but you know, 39,000, 42. I mean, things were going to get started getting tight. We're starting to break into some of the reserves. And, and I preached a sermon. I preached this sermon that you're looking for a miracle. God wants to give you a plan. Work the plan and the miracle will come. I'm kind of minding my own business when God preaches back at me. And here's what he said while I'm trying to finish up that sermon that day. He said, give away half of the money you're saving for the cameras. And I said, what? <laughs> They're all going to think I'm crazy, Lord. And, and in fact, I was so nervous, I didn't say anything for two weeks. I didn't tell Liz. I didn't tell anyone. I'm just wrestling with this. God, did you really say that? Was I just having a bad moment? You know? And then after second Sunday, I went to church, preached the two services, went home. And Sunday afternoon, Charlie calls me. Now you got to know Charlie, because Charlie sporadically came to church, and I'm sure he's still wrestling it from time to time, smoking pot. And Charlie calls me, and he says, hey, Pastor, I don't know what this means, but God is saying, go ahead, give half of it away, it's going to be okay. So I say, you know, thank you, Charlie. But I got off the phone and immediately had a conversation with God and said, God, you can send me a pillar of the church, you send me Johnny. Charlie, to, to, to confirm this word. But it was the word of the Lord. And then God started reminding me just how broken and messed up I am. God can use anyone. He can speak through anyone. God spoke through Charlie. And so it built up the courage to tell Liz. And she said, well, that's kind of interesting. And then I went to the leadership team, and we sat around the conference table, and I said, I think this is the answer for our breakthrough. we got to give half... We're going to get $21,000 away. And I can look in their faces, and I, and I saw, man, they were nervous. They were like, this is crazy. And so I backed off, and I said, I'm going to give you two weeks. Let's pray. Let's just go home. Let's just pray about it. Let's come back together in two weeks. We came back together in two weeks. Basically, we came to the conclusion, well, you've done crazy things like this before, you know, and it doesn't seem to have hurt us before, so let's just do it. And it was a pretty exciting night because we got the checkbook out, you know, and and we started $1,000, $2,000, in different checks. And we started sending them out to ministries, to inner city works. And we just gave the money away. Now, this story would be awesome if I could tell you the next day or the next week, God took care of it. But he didn't. May, June, July, the summer months, right? August, September. Now we're getting to October. We're nearing the end of the year. And we have a mission Sunday. And on this Sunday, we were believing God to raise $10,000 in that service for a project we were working on. And I live three miles from the church, so on my drive to the church, I'm praying and I'm saying, God, you know, I know everything is about missions today, but it sure would be nice if you could clean up this whole mess too. And I, at Morningstar, I came in from behind the back of the stage. And as I was in the back of the stage, an usher came up and said, hey, someone wanted you to have this. And it was a check for more than enough to clean everything up. In fact... In fact, we ended the year as much in the black as we started the year as much in the red. See, it takes time. Sometimes, maybe you're here today and you're even second-guessing yourself, saying, I keep doing the right thing. I, I've heard this a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, and I keep doing the right thing. I'm telling you, keep walking in those steps. Keep doing it because God is getting something prepared and ready for you that's going to be incredibly amazing. He wants you to be a part of the miracle by doing the things He's asked you to do. Take the small steps and do what he's telling you to do.
One more real quick story. I was uh, preaching last October at a church, and uh, the pastor didn't introduce me that day because it was Pastor Appreciation Day or something. And so a guy got up, and he started talking, and he said, uh, we're about to hear from Steve Dufresne. He's the VP of Development and Church Relations for the University of Valley Forge. And basically he said, and this is what he said, he said, basically, he's a fundraiser, and I'd hate that job. I'd hate that job. Somehow I heard his words, and it all of a sudden started hating the, what am I doing? Calling people, asking people for money, a job that I love. All of a sudden I start going home, and Liz says, how was your day? I said, don't ask. <laughs> Several days, don't ask. Wasn't that great? Don't ask. And pretty soon I'm in this funk, you know? Then I come to Journey Church. I hear something about there's life and death in the power of the tongue, stuff I've preached my whole life. And in worship, God begins to speak to me and says, you know exactly what you need to do to turn a situation around. Until you do it, it's not going to turn. And so I talked to Liz. I said, you know, I'm coming home every day with one or two good things that happen. And wouldn't you know it? In that case, it was immediate. I started getting phone calls. I started getting responses from pastors. I started raising some money for, uh, for, for Giving Tuesday and all those things that we were working on doing. It started happening. I'd come home and say, you're not going to believe it. This happened today and this happened today. And sometimes it had nothing to do with money. Sometimes it just happened to do with a phone call where I connected with a pastor. I connected with someone. And we had this incredible phone conversation. And I started saying, this happened and this happened and this happened. And then things are going pretty good. Then one day it wasn't such a great day and I went home and Almost fell back in that pattern again. How was your day today? Don't ask. And then next morning, I get up, do my devotions, hit my emails. I get a response from a pastor saying, we're going to pick up the school and support our students. So I'm telling you, you know what God's asking you to do. Just keep walking in those steps and watch what he'll do in your life. You're looking for a miracle? He wants to give you a plan. Work the plan and the miracle will come. It's still his miracle. We're just participating with some faith. Faith and works are the partnership. Faith without works is like a corpse and nothing happens. A faith that works is a faith where you're involved and you're doing what God is asking you to do. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for confirming and maybe even reaffirming things that you've been talking to your people about because you're always speaking to us. Sometimes we just need ears to hear. Sometimes we just need to be in an atmosphere of worship where you're settling in, where you speak to us clearly. So I thank you, Lord, for your people. I thank you, Lord, for this song that we're about to sing that will become our prayer for this week, Lord God, that you are more than able. You're more than able to do above and beyond what we ask, think, or imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And would you just take a moment and let's bow our heads and close our eyes because I want to make sure that anyone watching online, those in Montgomeryville, get a chance to respond to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And it does take that step. It takes a step and it takes inviting Christ to come into our lives or doing like Richard Neal did, hearing from God and saying, I can't fix your outside until I fix you inside, until I fix and fill that void that's in your life that I created. I created you to know me. I created you for fellowship. And if you're here today, today's your day to open, open up your heart and say, Jesus, as much as I know, as much as I know about Christianity, I believe in my heart right now I can hear your voice. And you're saying to me, let me step in.
to your life. And Jesus said, I'm standing at the door of your heart knocking. If you open up the door, I will step into your life. I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer. But would you just take a moment and just quickly raise your hand and say, today's my decision day. Today's my day to invite Christ to step into my life. I'm looking all across this auditorium, those that are online, those in Montgomeryville, to say, today's my day to turn my life over to Jesus. Jesus, come and begin to repair and fix the brokenness inside of me because we are broken people without the grace of God. Anyone quickly raising your hands? Yes. Thank you. Someone else. Simply pray this today. Say, Jesus, this is an awesome day to step into a new world. So today, as much as I know how, because I'll be honest, I don't know all the ins and outs of Christianity and following Christ. But what I know right now is that my next step is to open up my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. So Jesus, please step in and bring in your forgiveness because I know, I know that I've sinned. And I know that I've fallen way short of what God's standards are. So Jesus, step into my life. Bring your forgiveness and then bring your grace because I know I can't live this life without your grace, your strength, your power in my life. And so from this moment forward, I'll just begin to take one step after the next step after the next step and I'll trust you to help me every single day to live out this life in a way that honors and pleases you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's just thank God for all that responded. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.